What is up, Bitcoiners? Welcome to another episode of Fed Watch. Ansel and I have an action-packed episode for you. Ansel has updates on all the major central banks, and we have some reactions to big, big news that happened last week with MicroStrategy, Mass Mutual, and other big players getting into Bitcoin. Before we get into the show, let's talk about our sponsor. The sponsor is Level. LVL.co. This is a new type of way to bank with Bitcoin. This is a challenger bank style company. It's an FDIC insured USD bank account that is right alongside a Bitcoin wallet. And you can transfer between Bitcoin and USD for no charges whatsoever, no hidden spread, no fees at all with LVL.co. And that is not it. They are planning to be the way that you bank on Bitcoin and you want to get paid in Bitcoin down the line. They're going to make it so that you can just get your paycheck direct deposited into that FDIC insured bank account. And it's automatically transferred into whatever ratio of Bitcoin and USD that you want. So if you really want to go 100% Bitcoin, imagine just getting your paycheck into your level account, and then boom, it goes 100% into Bitcoin, into that wallet. They have a ton of amazing features. Go to lvl.co and let them know that we sent you there by putting in promo code BTC Media. Again, that is promo code BTC Media, so that way they know we sent you there. All right, Ansel, that is enough of me. Let's get into this show. You have a lot planned out for us here, and uh, a lot has been going down with these central banks. How do you want to start? Yeah, I just have a few articles here. Um, I will put everything in the show notes for people. Um, we're not going to go through um, in super detail, but I think it's good to kind of get an update on what these central banks are doing. In August, uh, September, October, the, the economy started slowing down and turning back over again with maybe a second wave of the virus hitting. And so the PBOC and ECB in particular are having trouble. Um, So I wanted to go over what's going down with them. And as far as the Fed, I just have one article here and uh, they're meeting. Let's see, today's Tuesday, recording this on Tuesday. So they're going to be meeting on Wednesday uh, and people are not expecting any policy change whatsoever. Uh, The big thing is going to be just uh, some rhetoric, you know, like the, the language that they use in their releases is that going to change and what's that going to kind of signal to the market going forward? So uh, that's the big update on the Fed. It feels kind of interesting because this is like that transition period. It feels as though there's going to be a transition to a new administration. Um, Again, there is still a little bit of uncertainty exactly how that's going to play out. But there's just been rumors that um, you know, the Treasury in particular, not necessarily the Fed, is going to have some sort of drastic exit, right, where they're going to be making some lasting changes on Bitcoin on other things. Um, so uh, it's interesting that at least from a Fed perspective, uh, the expectation is that nothing is going to happen from it. Yeah, uh, the Fed tries to be as apolitical as possible. They want to try to stay above the fray. Uh, and they they think that helps their messaging, right? But um, I don't know. the The ECB is not above that, and we will see that in the next next uh, couple articles here. So uh, the ECB uh, met last week, and they came out with an expected 
increase in their um, loan program that they're doing for to recover from the pandemic, quote unquote, recover from the pandemic. Uh, they increased it by 600 billion euros, which is uh, a crazy amount. The total now is up to 1.85 trillion euros, which as a share of their economy and a share of their monetary base, it's, it's gigantic, uh, even compared to the Fed. So you would expect inflation, right? But we actually see the opposite of that right now. They have the lowest um, or the worst deflation in the history of the euro. Uh, they're stuck in this debt trap at, at negative rates, and it does not look good for the ECB. Anything to add to that? Well, I mean, let's just kind of build on to the fact that these central bankers don't know what they're doing, and uh, they have prepared to fight inflation. Everything that their mandate is kind of centered around is about this fear of inflation, and here they are, and deflation is the black swan that they have no tools to protect them against. And uh, and now that deflation has appeared as the the true enemy that they are fighting against, they they don't know what to do. They're kind of caught flat footed. Exactly. The the seems like the more they do, the worse it gets. They are actually impairing the economy, impairing the recovery, and yeah, it's just crazy. the The one thing that the ECB kind of said in their statement that I thought was surprised by is they use the word symmetry. Now, um, <laughs> this is really creepy for central bank nerds, but um, the Fed has a symmetrical target of 2%. So that means that they fight inflation if it's too high and they fight if it's too low because their target is 2%. Um, but the ECB, they had just a one-sided mandate where they only fought inflation if it was too high. Uh, that had been that way for years. Um, but now, just in this statement, they use the word symmetry. So they're fight, they're, they have an eye on the deflation. They have an eye on the value of the euro. And they want to target that 2% inflation with symmetry, which I thought it was really interesting from a central bank nerd perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that we've talked about the different mandates on this show. So it's interesting to see that. You know, if they'd been listening to FedWatch, they may have been uh, a little bit ahead of the curve on this difference in the fact that they need to be watching out for deflation and uh, their mandate should be too two-sided. What's next? Okay, um, I have another article here about the ECB, and this is also about their dilemma. We don't have to go too far into this, but I thought it would be good to share. Okay, so the ECP, ECB's policy dilemma, more QE will strengthen the euro. And this is one thing I've been saying for a long time. Uh, this is from Seeking Alpha for those podcast listeners. Uh, people go watch us on YouTube and you'll see all of these articles. But um, so they're, they're stuck in this dilemma. They, they can either pick a cheaper euro and less deflation or more inflation or a stronger euro, higher real interest rates and a weaker economic performance. So they are really trying to stimulate their economy they're trying they want to force somehow the euro down but everything they seem to do seems to strengthen the euro um, and this article walks through some of the stuff we already covered about their recent policy decision um, but i also thought it's really interesting people are starting to say that 
debt is deflationary, QE is deflationary, which is a huge turn that is, you never would have heard that last year, maybe just Jeff Schneider, uh, that's about it for the last few years. Uh, but now people are starting to see it more and more. So from this article on Seeking Alpha, debt is deflationary. And an ever-growing debt load has compressed the rate of inflation in Europe and the United States. Negative interest rates have disastrous consequences for the banking system and society more generally. However, high, highly indebted economies risk a balance sheet deleveraging and or massively weaker economic performance if the real interest rate settles above the equilibrium rate. Okay, blah, blah, blah. The ECB has a major policy dilemma due to a massive debt burden that is crushing the inflation inflation rate. Inaction or simply adding to the existing QE program will not move the needle on the inflation rate across Europe. That's a pretty big admission, I think. And this, again, this idea is starting to um, permeate through the financial uh, literati, I guess you might call it. Uh, he goes on. It's it's not easy to fight a currency war. It's even harder to fight a currency war with an over-indebted economy. And it's even harder still to fight a currency war when the global economy has reached its limit as to how negative interest rates can go. I'll add there as well that it's not just interest rates being negative. It's also that the entire global economy is riddled with debt. So there's no place to add more debt. Everybody's in this stuck in this deflationary trap. Okay. And now I'm done. What do you think about that, Christian? This is extremely, extremely interesting. Um, and I feel like for a lot of Bitcoiners, it's a no duh, no shit. Like we've already known this, but it's like the world is waking up in front of our eyes, right? And mm -hmm. what's the next logical conclusion, right? It's typically we need an alternative system. What's the next best thing? What's gold 2.0? So I think this is this awakening to Bitcoin's relevance is extremely bullish. And I mean, what do you think? Gradually and then it, suddenly, right? Yeah. Would it drive people to CBDCs? That's one of the things I think too is uh, that people are might start view, viewing CBDCs as this replacement because they don't they um, don't want to give in to Bitcoin uh, quite yet that will happen eventually, but they don't want yep. to do that quite yet. And so CBDCs are kind of a stopgap to a new system. What do you think about that? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe, but I, I just, we've talked about this so many times on this podcast. Uh, there's so many barriers for them, right? They, the ECB, a lot of these central banks think that just slap on, you know, uh, central bank digital currency will mint the digital currency ourselves and all of a sudden we'll be competitive right and they're talking about the wrong things they're just talking about payments like nothing nothing that they're saying makes me think that this is going to actually compete in the market right against tether against other crypto dollars and against bitcoin like that's what the central banks have to compete against because they no longer have their geography to kind of give them a geographic monopoly. Like now that they're onboarding to the internet, those network effects are showing their weakness. Um, so I just don't see like maybe they'll try, but is that going to attract the consumer to CBDCs? I don't. I don't think so. Like I, I think it's going to be an uphill battle, an uphill battle for CBDCs. 
Yes, I very much agree. And uh, it remains to be seen if they even make a difference, if they even can be a different system. Uh, That goes into our next story. Are you ready for that? All right. Uh, The next story is about the digital yuan. And there was a former PBOC chief, the People's Bank of China um, chief economist or something, that uh, said that the digital yuan is not trying to replace the dollar or replace cash or replace the euro. So I thought this was really interesting. Um, The Chinese government is not seeking to replace existing fiat currencies with its own digital currency, according to a former governor of the People's Bank of China. Also known as a digital currency electronic payment or DCEP, China's digital yuan is purely designed to transform cross-border trade and investment, Zhao said. Uh, Then he compares it to Libra's or Facebook's Libra. Zhao went on to say that China learned a lesson from global regulatory pushback to the Libra project, with regulators fearing that it would disrupt financial systems and monetary sovereignty. We must avoid the perception of great power chauvinism, he says. Um, You guys can see it in the link I'll provide in the show notes, uh, read on the rest of this. But really, it's all about payments. It's not about a new kind of form of money. They are stuck on the payments side of things, like I've said over and over again. Um, but interesting that they're kind of backing away from a strong stance on this, uh, CBDC project thoughts, Christian. Yeah, I think Jeff boots, I think Jeff Booth said it perfectly, um, on this show and on many others. Um, but what happened to blockbuster when Netflix changed the game, they added candy to the candy store, you know, to the, to their aisles, right. They try to like add value. They try to be innovative in hindsight but it was too late. The, the game was already changed. And uh, that's happening to all of these countries. And uh, I mean, they're just coping at this point, like, and they're trying to sell it in whatever way they think is most palatable to, you know, the group of people that are going to be disrupted. So it's just kind of funny, like, we learned from Libra's mistake, we have to like, you know, we have to package this thing in a way that it's going to be palatable. I guess, I mean, that's good marketing. But ultimately, like, you know, I just can't see how this approach doesn't get disrupted, doesn't get disrupted severely by Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, that's what open source permissionless innovation does. And the, you know, the best thing is that they're still talking and Bitcoin is in operation. Bitcoin is being adopted by major corporations. Bitcoin is in, you know, it is in the zeitgeist. The world knows about it. You know, the educational journey has, has been, you know, forged by Bitcoin. So um, I just don't see how any of these things catch up. Absolutely. 100% agree. Uh, Bitcoin is not stopping. Like you like to say to Ethereum people, what do you think Bitcoin is going to be doing while this is happening? So yeah, Bitcoin is moving faster than they are. Um, I have two more articles on the PBOC, but I'll just cover it. We don't have to like go through them in detail. Again, I'll put them in the show notes for people. Um, It's pretty much saying that over the last few months, there has been a bunch, a rising amount of defaults over there in China. Even state-owned enterprises are having a hard time. uh, And they're looking to the government, uh, the PBOC, to bail them out. Um, The PBOC has let several of them fail, but uh, they also have upped, I think it's up to roughly 160 or 180, I can't remember off the top of my head, billion dollars a month that they're doing over there in China. So 
Uh, China is having problems. Europe is having problems. And all along, the U.S. is kind of not doing anything. Uh, they're waiting for um, the waiting for the next shoe to drop, I think, before the Fed moves. Anything to yeah. add, Christian? So, I mean, I'm not surprised. And you have been saying that China is going to be having a lot of issues. I guess, can you kind of dive into um, – the background of China's situation, like why are all these defaults happening? Why, you know, why does it seem like their economies in shambles when um, probably to normies like China is this strong enemy? Yeah, we covered it once on the, the show where we read like the PBOC mandate or something. That was one of the first episodes I was on. And uh, they are their modern structure is only about 20 years old or less. I think it's 2003 three is when the PBOC got their modern structure. Uh, so the banking system in China was very immature and very young. Uh, and then throughout, like I would say the nineties into the two thousands, they started getting more uh, mature types of financing, um, more debt building out their economy. And so I think that they have just been flooded by debt over the last 20 years. And, now they're coming to the realization, just like the ECB, they're stuck in this debt trap. They can't get out of it. The debt burden is too high. They're starting to see defaults. Um, and, you know, that my personal opinion is that's going to spell disaster for the CCP. But we'll see how this develops. Um, I, I don't I think China, out of all of the three major central banks that we've talked about today, is probably in the worst shape because they're the most over indebted. Uh, and they are, I don't know, I would say the least, they have the least tradition in their current form the way it is, right? And so they're going to have problems without major changes going forward in the future. That's my thought. So just to play devil's advocate, couldn't you argue that, sure, they have these major problems, but the one thing as a central organization essential decision maker that they do have in their benefit is true decision making power, like through and through decision making power, whereas like the ECB and the Fed, yes, they're powerful institutions, but they do kind of have some sort of, you know, some sort of consumer as well as regulatory hurdles that they have to overcome uh, over time, as well as tradition and, 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 uh, and, uh, and a mandate to overcome, whereas the 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 Chinese, you know, the Central Bank of China, they can pivot, you know, quickly. At least that's what it seems like. Yeah, but then you get into central planning, the problems with central planning. Um, it's going to be, you might get lucky and pick the right thing once or twice, uh, but eventually the dislocations within the economy, the um, um, price signals will get so out of whack that, you won't be able to make proper decisions anymore. So I think that's another thing they're coming up onto is just central planning and economy is not sustainable long-term. So the less central planning you have, the more sustainable it will be. So I think that the, yes, the Fed and the ECB, they try to do a lot of central planning, but it's less so than, I mean, China has state-owned enterprises. I mean, what's half their economy is state-owned enterprises. So um, they, it's a top-down, centrally controlled, planned economy, and it is not stable. So what's next for the ECB and the Fed, though? It seems as though 
we are now entering a world where even in Western countries, there's this massive expansion of government, massive expansion of the executive. So essentially, you know, top down decision making, um, you know, people have rumored the the combination or the merging of the Treasury and the Fed, like are will governments move in China's direction as the people and as technology kind of decentralizes and disrupts? Maybe, but there is also a populist movement around the world that is trying to, you know, get rid of a lot of these central planners. So I, I think the political structures are what's at most risk. So the political structure in China, the political structure in the ECB, even or in the Eurozone, even uh, in the US, the political structure, we've seen how, you know, the court system doesn't really function the way we thought, and neither does the um the election process itself doesn't quite function the way we thought it did. And so I think there's, there's going to be a lot of political change that comes before any like monetary change. But overall, I think I still remain a dollar positive or dollar positive against these other currencies, uh, the dollar milkshake theory sort of thing from Brett Johnson. And um, yeah, that's, that's how I envision it going forward. There's going to be two systems. There's going to be the dollar system and there's going to be the Bitcoin system or the permissionless system, right? Moving yeah. forward. We'll see where CBDCs can fit into that. But pers- Antel and I kind of agree that, that those are the, th- that's where the network effects lie. Um, so talking about like, you know, obviously the dollar is entrenched. It, it's the unit of account. It is the global settlement uh, currency, but Bitcoin is making moves, Right. And Pierre Richard wrote an article back in 2014 saying that the way that hyper-Bitcoinization is reached is through speculative attacks. It's through individuals, corporations, institutions taking out debt denominated in the fiat and using that to acquire Bitcoins um, with the assumption that, you know, they're going to be able to um, pay back that fiat in, you know, in the future with their Bitcoin gains. And they're speculating that they'll be able to to ride Bitcoin up, right? So individuals have been doing this. Maybe small private institutions have been doing this kind of speculative attacks, little cuts to the dollar for years. But last week, MSTR, MicroStrategy, issued a five-year bond, private convertible note that was oversubscribed to. They were asking for $400 million. They got over $625 million to buy Bitcoin. And they issued it saying, we will buy Bitcoin with this. Uh, I think it was less than a 1% interest rate as well. So really <laughs> yeah. unbelievable, you know, what the market is allowing in terms of debt issuance right now. This is just the beginning. Nick Batia calls this arbitrage. He says, this is not, um, th- this is not, uh, this is not a speculative attack. This is just arbitrage. Bitcoin for, if you look historically, if you hold Bitcoin for five years, you're in the green. So that's what Michael Saylor is betting on. He doesn't have to um, pay this back for five years. Uh, so, I mean, what are your reactions to this? And uh, what, do you, what do you think we're going to see moving forward? Oh, well, I think the it's fascinating that this is happening in front of our eyes, that we get to watch this. It's, it's the, one of the best times to be alive uh, for at least studying money and studying monetary things. I think that this will continue. It'll get bigger. The... Emerging market currencies are in deep trouble. Uh, even the euro, like we just have been talking about, the euro, maybe not the yuan, because they will uh, be having more of a uh, authoritarian control over that currency. But um, yeah, it's it's going to 
hurt a lot of a lot of uh, currencies, and this will probably continue to grow. I mean, I always used to call this a carry trade. I think this is the same thing as a carry trade, uh, and uh, I guess a speculative attack is better rhetoric because that sounds really flashy and it might trigger some people. So um, I like that terminology. So I don't know. It's it's exciting. I can tell you that you you probably know a lot more about the ins ins and outs of what's going on in this particular uh, field than I do. Well, I don't know much, but I definitely talk to a lot of people who who know plenty. So make sure you're following all the podcasts at Bitcoin Magazine. Make sure you're following all of our content at Bitcoin Magazine. Um, but yeah, I, I recently interviewed Nick Batia, and he gave some very, very detailed analysis on this. Um, watch that. Watch out for that video and podcast. It should have already dropped on BitcoinMagazine.com. Um, but there's some really great analysis there. Um, also kind of following, you know, Right on the heels of MSTR pulling this off, um, Mass Mutual, a major, major insurance company in the United States, used a company called NYDIG in order to acquire $100 billion worth of Bitcoin as part of their you know, as, you know, insurance fund, right? So their massive treasury of assets um, to back their, their insurance liabilities. Um, so this is a pretty big move, too. Um, what are your comments there? Uh, it's, it's a huge vote of confidence. I mean, this is a well-respected insurance company. Like you said, it's one of the biggest in the world. I don't know the exact comparison to other insurance companies, but it's, it's very old uh, and very big and well-respected. And the fact that they want to take a bet on $100 million worth of Bitcoin with a saying that they might buy more in the future that is a huge, huge vote of confidence for, for Bitcoin in general. And yeah, the, the virus is spreading amongst these types of people right now. Yep, absolutely. And kind of on that same tip, NYDIG, um, they are emerging as it seems like a very solid you know, custodian financial services group for onboarding these big customers. Um, but they recently onboarded another kind of fintech challenger style bank. It's called Quantic. So Quantic is a fintech uh, challenger bank, an online challenger bank that offers, you know, higher savings, savings account rates and cheaper checkings rate and, you know, no fee, um, no fee debit cards, stuff like that. And they partnered with NYDIG in order to create a 1.5% Bitcoin back debit card. So this is a company that's not involved in Bitcoin at all, just a challenger bank, and they're rolling out a Bitcoin back rewards card as just a consumer product that they're marketing to the world. Um, so they're using the infrastructure that Mass Mutual used that you know other players are going to use. And I would not be surprised if by the end of 2021, literally every single consumer bank had some sort of Bitcoin product, whether it's a debit card or, or a credit card, like it's going to happen real fast and it's going to start with these challenger banks. But um, Bitcoin is a product you can make money on. Like the benefits of uh, the Bitcoin economy, the growth that you can find in the Bitcoin economy, that it's a narrative that you've been talking about, you know, companies are figuring it out. Yes, growth is going to be uh, contained in Bitcoin land, not in the traditional markets, the dollar denominated markets. It's just going to be stagnation in the eurozone it's going to be stagnation in china 
and the Bitcoin economy is going to look extremely attractive at 1.5%. <laughs> I mean, what? so that's, that's your reward. You're saying that you, when you spend your dollars, you get 1.5% cash back, but it's Bitcoin. So you yep, get some Bitcoin sats back. back. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But this is like, it's not yeah. like fold. This is on the heels of fold. This is just some random online bank. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some wh- forward thinking wh- people. Yeah, you know, when, when's uh, Barclays online bank going to roll this out, right? Like all of these <laughs> companies have some sort of like online bank like this um, and they're just doing whatever to get an edge. You know, they used to be able to have a 3% interest rate on their savings account. Like that's gone now. Now mm-hmm. that's like 1%. Like they're not even competing with anything. They're like scrapping for something they can offer. Yep, yep. And uh, man, it's such a great selling point. So uh, I'll probably go open up a card today. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, it's, 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 um, in, like I said, it's an exciting time to be alive. I don't have much to say about this particular topic because for me, I've expected it for so long and it's coming and I'm like, Oh, well, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't they do this? What it's and so, I don't know. It's, it's great that it's happening. Like people say slowly then, then quickly, or what is it gradually, gradually then suddenly. Then suddenly yeah. So, yeah, so that that's happening now, and hey, we Bitcoiners have been saying it for as long as I've been in that this is coming. So people just need to wake up and stop listening to uh, Peter Schiff on Twitter. <laughs> if if you go back to Pierre Richard's speculative attack article written in 2014, it reads as if it was written today, straight up. Just read yep. that, and that just shows you Bitcoiners have been talking about this. For a very long time. Um, Ansel, that's all I got for this one. Anything to, anything to add it out? What's your last word? Nope, that's all I got. Thanks, guys, for listening. Um, we are. Should we tell them our plans for the coming weeks? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be taking a break next week. There's going to be plenty of Bitcoin Magazine podcasts going out still. So uh, have no worry. There's going to be lots of audio content, but we'll take a, bri- a quick FedWatch break. Antel is going to be uh, writing an article kind of breaking down what all the major central banks have done throughout 2020, dropping that on Bitcoin Magazine the week after Christmas. And then uh, we are going to be doing a audio um, kind of reflection on that piece um, with the next FedWatch in two weeks. So that's what is coming down the line. want to remind you guys that we have a new FedWatch uh, feed. Uh, we are having a little bit of issues with Spotify, but we're figuring it out. Um, but it should be live on Apple and Overcast and uh, and everything else. So uh, go over and subscribe to the new FedWatch feed. That is where FedWatch is going to be living in 2021 moving forward. Um, all right, guys, you can find me at CK underscore snarks. You can find everything for Bitcoin Magazine at BitcoinMagazine.com. Ansel? At AnselLinder.com and BitcoinAndMarkets.com. That's my other podcast. Thank you for listening. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. 
Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research. Thank you.